0: episode 16. Today, we're going to talk about some Nebraska issues. I'm April, and I'm here with Melody and Stephanie and our special guest, Amanda Gailey, board president and founder of Nebraskans Against Gun Violence. Let's get started. How's everyone doing?
1: Um, I want to go first. I want to tell you how I'm doing. So About your dog? Well, the dog, (laughs) she's doing so good. She is finally... Really behaving in a way that you would want your family dog to behave, um, aside mm-hmm. from just peeing on the floor sometimes. But I have to say, we're having the most incredible couple of days. We sent the kids to grandma camp.
0: Oh, geez. <laughs> they, we sent them
1: to grandma camp, and I sent them, I, um, Grandma has a little lake house and I got them, the older one who's seven, I got him a snorkel set so he could snorkel around in the lake. They got new coloring books, new a little slingshot I got at the dollar store. Um, and I packed them up and I sent them to grandma's. And I think I have not been away from the children more than a couple hours of time since February, mm-hmm. since schools got out. And it <clears throat> is just so nice to feel like an adult for more than an hour so it's lovely so that's my that's my update I'm just free for a couple days and when the children come back I will be so glad but uh, it is nice to have a break
0: from parenting for just a couple days
2: you do look well rested
0: thank you thank you I feel so well rested I might poison you out of jealousy
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's hard because my mom runs a home daycare and it hasn't been clear when can they go. And then if they go, they kind of have to stay a long time because they have already realized the risk and they just, they might as well just soak it in and have a nice time at grandma's house. And I don't know when they'll be able to go back. If there's a COVID flare up in Omaha, then they won't be able to go back. And I mean, it's just... Everyone else's decisions have such an immediate impact on what I can do with my own children and their grandmother. And mm-hmm. it's it's really just uh, a complicated, it's a complicated time, but I'm glad that they went. I wasn't sure if I should send them or not, but ultimately they need to see their grandmother. I need them to see their grandmother. So I think it's good. I think it's good. And I, they're having, everyone, they're all having a really wonderful time.
0: <laughs> what about you,
2: Stephanie? Um, just enjoying time around the house. I am harvesting things out of my garden, like green beans and cucumbers and garlic scapes, and uh, there's got to be something else, uh, sweet peas. So that's very exciting on this front. Wait, a garlic? What did you say? This a garlic scape? It's like the very top before it flowers. If you cut it right when it starts, you, it's really tasty in eggs
1: so oh um. well listeners don't let stephanie tell you that she's just like laying around gardening and hanging out (laughs) i went over there today the other day to pick up some shelving she is building a whole new set of shelves her garden is nuts she took me on a tour it took 30 minutes it is huge it's so impressive stephanie you should send us pictures of the garden we should send it to our patrons
2: on the pod That's a great idea, but I did not build the shelves. Those are of my fantastic boyfriend's making, so I won't take credit for that. You did look pretty while he did it. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) April, how are you doing? You know, same
0: old, same old boring life.
1: (laughs) I want to know how your tree's doing.
0: So, um... Yeah, a little bit of wildlife. The tree is okay. I caught another squirrel chewing on it and chased him off. <gasps> Naughty. Um, but it, it actually looks fantastic. So I'm like, take that nature. My tree is better than you. <laughs> on the bird nerd front, I finally saw an Oriole. Not in my yard though. That would have made me mm-hmm. super happy, but I saw a real Oriole. And I think I'm gonna try to paint one. And also, i um, been taking the kids fishing. We have one, I'm like torn, we have one fishing pole, which is fine because like if I had two kids with hooks flying around at the same time, I'm like a little afraid of what would happen to my, you know, self. But they also like have a hard time waiting for each other. (laughs) But when it's good, it's good. And they're like quiet, they're just watching this bopper. And I'm like, this is magical. I got a little sunburn because I forgot the sunscreen that day, but we've caught like four fish. (laughs) How do you know how to go fishing? You just go fishing. You just get worms, and you put it on a hook, and you throw it where other people have been fishing, and you wait, and you wait.
1: How do you get the fish off the hook if you catch one?
0: Well, so luckily, (laughs) the only time we caught any was when my husband was there, so I made him do it. But I did bring pliers because sometimes you need help getting like the hook out. Yep. So um, we had to use the pliers. But um, and it, the spine of the bluegill kind of cut my husband's hand a little bit. So I'm not looking forward to when I have to do it.
2: If you go up to Two River State Park, which is about 50 minutes north of here, the ponds are really well stocked and they have ponds just for kids to fish in. And there's tadpoles everywhere. And it's great.
1: It's yeah. just outside of Omaha. Yeah. Fun fact, when I was uh, a Girl Scout, which I was a Girl Scout through my senior year of high school, mm-hmm. I got my gold award and my project was painting and fixing up the bathrooms at Two River State Park. The also, place. my brother pooped in the toilet and then reported the water was not turned on. So that <laughs> happened during my project good
0: times (laughs) on that note amanda how are you doing (laughs) i am doing well thank you i've also been doing
3: a lot of gardening and i'm afraid that the salad days are over my lettuce is starting to bolt but i've been spending a lot of time tending to our turtle and we um what is the turtle's name his name, he is a turtle of many names, but we've settled on, <laughs> my son, my son doesn't like to decide on one name, but his name right now is Sir Blueberry Cupcake. Oh. And he's a giant, rare Australian turtle that we actually adopted from, from a lady on Craigslist who had had him for some years and wanted to find a new home for him. We have no idea how he got here. He's not the kind of turtle you normally find in the pet trade. And we just decided we wanted to set up a little outdoor thing for him during the warmer months when he can go outdoors. And it's just been one thing after another. But slowly but surely, he's got a little pond to swim around in and he can climb out and walk around part of the yard. And it's just been kind of fun to see him in that environment and strangely peaceful. You can just sit in the shade and work and see a cool turtle kind of giving you the side eye out of the water and... Um, I've been enjoying it. So that's what I've been up to.
0: There you go. We're gonna need to have a party like, and just like sit and
3: like watch Amanda's turtle.
0: <laughs> yep, you guys can come over and watch him. He's very warm. My binoculars, because I'll be sitting 12 feet away. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Will you be getting kind of like a live stream nature camera
3: for yeah. Sir Cupcake? Yeah. We were thinking about something like that. We have these, like, you know, we have a security system, and I was thinking, I've, I'm slowly persuading my husband. I'm detecting a theme here, by the way. We keep talking about the work that we put off onto the men in our lives, but the the job I am giving mine is I want him to put one of our security cameras in the backyard. <laughs> nice. So we can, like, when we want to, like, what's the turtle doing? We could just look, and because the way it is now, sometimes he sticks his head over these bars and I don't wanna let my dogs out there when he's doing that, you know? So that's, yes, there may be a turtle cam in the future.
2: I I want to add one of the cameras to my security system that will overlook my bird-eater.
0: Yeah. Yeah, What about all your snakes, Stephanie?
2: <laughs> okay. Don't talk badly about Steve. He's fine. I'm not. I'm just saying you <laughs> might need a cam. Just hangs out around my yard. In your window uh, Stephanie well. has
1: a, a not quite a pet, but she, she has still named it a wild snake named Steve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my mom has one named Henderson, although they, she thinks maybe the neighbors killed it.
3: So she, we haven't seen Henderson in a while. Guys, this is a PSA. Don't kill snakes. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. They're cool. cool. And by the way, my 15-year-old, she loves snakes, and she will go to anyone's house. She's done this many times before. If there is someone who has a phobia about snakes, and you find one in your basement window well or whatever, she will go over there and give it. She went over. There is a certain local man we all know who called her over. And I'll just say he ended up pulling the sighting off of the part of the house where these snakes had appeared to reveal a giant compact nest of, it was like a wall of snakes inside of his sighting. And my daughter pulled them all out and released them into the wild.
1: This was when she was, what, 12, 11?
3: <clears throat> yeah, something like that. Yeah, I that's 13.
2: happening at my house right now. I'm worried
3: about that too Stephanie. <laughs> you might have snakes all through the walls they could be surrounding you as you sleep looking for <laughs> I mean I night. know
2: that I know that there aren't <laughs> snakes where the bats are so at least well no that's, that's
3: what you want, want to believe. I choose to believe they're everywhere in the walls of your home <laughs> It's just well, a matter of time before they find the vents
1: <laughs> at my house what I'm having the husband do is a serious amount of urine cleanup
3: <laughs> from the, the puppy
1: well oh. well that too also that <laughs> also toilet. that with the two because we've potty trained as a toddler so there is pee everywhere from the floor to the toilet every i mean there's just pee everywhere in our house right now do not come over also <laughs> don't come over because it's covid but also our, there's just pee everywhere in our house so if you see nick around town <laughs> um, anyone in lincoln Maybe don't give him a hug, but just, you know, give him, like, a look, like, stay strong, man, because he's really he's really uh, doing some tough stuff over here.
0: <laughs> it's greatly appreciated. Well, let's move into the news, shall we? Let's talk about the news. Um. So, uh, we talked a little bit last time about the Lincoln budget um, coming out, and the Omaha budget has come out. Um, One major cut that we noticed was that they're proposing to cut libraries by 50%. Yikes. Ooh, baby. That's, I mean, how does any agency cut by 50%, let alone one that serves so much public good? Right. And, you know, they're not cutting the police budget. Isn't that interesting?
1: Like, they are reducing overtime. To only essential, which is kind of an arbitrary metric. I don't know mm-hmm. what essential means, um, but yeah, fifty percent for the library budget. But basically, well, like, yeah, I just I have problems. I have problems with these cuts. Oh my gosh! And when are they passing their budget in Omaha? Have they already That's passed a it? Good
2: question. Do we know? Um, I don't know about that not as familiar with the budget and budgeting not. process in Omaha versus Lincoln.
1: We need to have someone come in and just talk about like the Omaha budget that is more familiar with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Pod listeners, you could,
1: identify you, yourself.
0: You could contact the mayor's hotline um, hotline could. at cityofomaha.org you could call it 402-444-5555 call your city council members hmm hmm we also wanted to talk about um, this general theme in several stories lately about who's held accountable and who's silenced, right? And yeah. who's not. And that ties into some Omaha, too. You'll recall that devastating um, murder of James Scurlock. People had to, you know, protest before they would call for an investigation into his death.
1: Right. And just like for a reminder, it was a black protester who encountered an armed white man who went down to where he thought protests might be. He armed himself with the intent to murder someone and then he murdered someone. The police never arrested him. They did not investigate him. And then within a few days, they let the public know there would be no charges.
2: Yeah, and now they continue to let out information about the trial, even though there's going to be a grand jury convened, which is unbelievable to me. Right, they released
1: the autopsy report of the deceased uh, James Skirlock. They didn't even do a tox screen on the murderer. Right, yeah. So they're already was-
0: disparaging this dead teenager. And their excuse is that they never, they always release those. It doesn't matter. But in this is like, extreme circumstances this is different like also, there should be a judgment call
1: if you have that's what they're been, saying if you know somebody who has died like at the age of 50 or 60 and maybe they had a heart attack or something uh, they usually do an autopsy and they tell families they take eight weeks to come back
0: well no i don't think they said anyone who died i think victims type of thing but mm-hmm at any
1: rate i'm saying i think they rushed it, it through was, seemed, and then
0: couldn't wait to leak it to the press yeah, that's just weird.
1: inappropriate meanwhile the mayor of omaha is she launched an investigation because people were going to a restaurant that had a general lee's chicken dish they thought that shouldn't be happening and so they just stood outside the doors Much like people stand outside of Planned Parenthood when people, when, you Uh know, women um, are trying to get health care. And but the mayor of Omaha thought that protesters shouldn't be protesting at restaurants that she enjoys. And she launched a full investigation into the Worth Cafe protesters, who, by the way, were live streaming their protests. So it's not even a mystery what happened. Mm -hmm. They were live streamed it.
2: So yeah. the other thing is, is they weren't just protesting the General Lee's dish or whatever it was, right. they were also protesting the racist banter that the owner and his son had on Facebook and social oh, media. Right. So it wasn't just that, I mean, they, you know, people can rename a dish, right, had it been innocent without problem, but there were other, <clears throat> other indicators of the racist nature of the ownership of that business.
1: Well, and it's just like, who gets to hold protesters accountable when it's something that they don't like or something that they do like? We have rules and they have to apply to everybody all across the board. And so, you know, like Terry Wagner, who's the sheriff of Lancaster County, his sheriffs were videotaped, they were photographed doing really horrible things to protesters. And he was quoted in the paper as asking, he was asking the public, like, how long should my officers have to put up with being yelled at? I mean, the answer is forever. They should be <laughs> yeah. forever. They should be forever right. to be put up with that. You never How long does a teacher... to resort to violence because they get yelled at. That no.
0: they, <laughs>
1: no. Teachers,
0: no. nurses, they get yelled at and all the time and they don't, there's never a Hear line it. where they get to haul off and physically intervene. Right. And pull people's hair, tear gas them.
3: This is Amanda. I wanted to interject, if I could, that one of the things that really bothered me about that interview with Terry Wagner was the absolute lack of any kind of backup question. Like the the questions coming from NET that interviewed Wagner, there was not a single hardball question. Nobody said, well, wait a minute, don't police officers have to endure? any level of verbal criticism because of the First yeah. Amendment. There was not, you know, there were, it was a complete PR interview for Wagner, which really bothered me as somebody who supports public radio in Nebraska. But, you know, this question of who is who is held accountable and who isn't has been going on for a really long time in Nebraska, and maybe a topic for a future podcast would even be how people like Jeff Fortenberry have insisted on criminal consequences to certain kinds of protests while his track record back in the 90s was really advocating and backing anti-abortion protesters who were stalking a gynecologist in Lincoln during the era when there had been multiple gynecologists murdered by bombings. Fortenberry was advocating for the rights of those protesters but then insisted on criminal investigations and consequences when somebody called him Fartenberry. And yeah. I, I want to be clear here that my nine-year-old, if I ever say Fartenberry, says, excuse me, mommy, who? And I say Fartenberry. And he's like, thank you.
0: So, <laughs> 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 my phone autocorrects to Fartenberry now because I <laughs> learned it. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's, there's been some picking
3: and choosing for a long right. time in the state about what counts as First Amendment protests and what counts as mm-hmm. something. And all that the law that law enforcement gets involved in,
0: and well, let's let's frame that difference too, because an abortion protester is out trying to tell an individual person you are wrong and bad, and not giving any help or anything, right, for the decision they have to make. But the Black Lives Matter protesters and the like are out protesting a system that is designed. <laughs> to keep them down. Yeah. And that's totally different kind of protest. And yet one is okayed by, I mean, truly exactly, by Fortenberry and one isn't. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and you know, another thing that um, Wagner said in his interview was that he suspected that BLM protest was, so, so just, I, I don't think anybody clarified the Lancaster County Sheriff's Department was called in to provide on-the-ground support during one of the BLM protests in Lincoln and downtown Lincoln that would norm- normally be dealt with by LPD. But they wanted some backup, so they called in the sheriff's office. And he said during this N.E.T. interview recently that he doubted that that protest was even legal from the beginning because did they get the proper permits? <laughs> for the protest. And when I read that, I thought, you know, this is a good lesson for all of the activists out there and some of us in this conversation have been saying this for years to our activists stop asking for permission to exercise your first amendment rights you do not you need a permit if you want special treatment by the police where they're going to cl- officially close on a road and give you an like all that stuff If you have decided to go downtown and hold a protest, you do not need a permit. This is a basic freedom afforded by our Constitution. And every time you ask for permission to protest, you are reinforcing the narrative that some protests that ask permission and play nicely and get validation from the conservative and racist powers that be, that some of those are valid and some of those are not. And we need to knock it off. Go down there, hold up your sign, speak truth to power, and stop asking the people you're protesting against whether it's okay that you do that. Because that's where our sheriff is getting that bullshit from when he says he doesn't know if this was legal. You know, Of course it's legal. It's <laughs> legal, and even if it weren't legal, meeting insults, verbal insults with rubber bullets to take off a young woman's nose or putting a hole in the back of a man's head is ludicrous and disgusting and he should be apologizing and cleaning up his force and not acting like if only they had filed the proper paperwork and behaved themselves that wouldn't have happened
0: right thank you for saying that
2: so ladies before we get into our interview this evening melody do we have any new patreons this week
1: so we don't have any new patrons but we Do owe some people some fuck you Fridays. And so if you are owed, yeah, if you're owed a fuck you Friday, um, one, I have not forgotten about you, but it's been summertime and just, you know, we've been in summer land, but the legislature starting up July 20th. Mm -hmm. So you might want to save your Fuck You Friday for that, but you don't have to. But I'm going to be emailing people who qualify for one in the very near future. So be on the lookout for those emails. And we're also going to send you pictures of Stephanie's garden. So. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Wait, wait, wait. wait. And Amanda's turtle and April. Fish. 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 And Melody can send a picture of Marigold. So. Okay. (laughs)
1: Yes. 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 Our april's system. april's bird nerd set up okay we'll send you pictures <laughs> of all of our uh nerdy little stuff so that's what's going on with patreon it's all very exciting but yeah. if you are owed a fuck you friday be thinking about who you want to give it to and no. we'll make sure that it goes out on social media channels if
2: somebody has already gotten a fuck you friday but they really deserve another one can they they can get another one right
1: Um, yeah, usually, like, I mean, I guess it depends on what it is. I mean, if you want to give a fuck you Friday to Megan Hunt, we're going to say no, probably. It's just very unlikely that we would approve that. But if you're just, if Ricketts did something and you think we didn't
3: appropriately scold him, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's almost always approved. I think I can say on behalf of seeing Red Nebraska, That we have many fucks to give. We have lots left. (laughs) To give away. We're happy happy to say fuck you to any horrific, you know, letting everybody die politician in the state. So just let us know who and why.
0: And it'll make its way onto the site. Hmm. All right. Well, let's do the official interview here. Melody, do you want to tell them why we've asked Amanda to come back again? We are
1: asking Amanda to come back because she has written a recent, I don't know, an essay, a brochure, a small book, <laughs> a soliloquy, a monologue, if she
3: read it, uh, <laughs> about the history. How many pages is it? it is, it's 15? I, I got it down to 15 through creative <laughs> typography. It has very small margins. It's a small book.
0: Very
1: small margins.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, it and a very small font. I would I would guess if it was normal margins and normal font, exactly. it would be 20 pages. That's about right. Good eye. <laughs> so she wrote about, she's the president, uh, the board president of Nebraska Against Gun Violence, and we both serve on that organization. And it is the history of policing at, schools in lincoln and i talked about it at the local school board meeting here in lincoln and it, w- it went over really well I, we printed a bunch of copies we passed them out to everybody you can get it at nhv.org. it's there but i thought i'd bring amanda on so people could hear her talk about it because you really only heard me talk about it at the school board meeting if you were paying attention but it's her
3: work and she should get to talk about it Welcome, Amanda. We're glad you're here. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. You want me to just dive into this a little? As we were watching the protests develop here in Lincoln, I was just reflecting recently on how just two years ago, the matter of police and schools was kind of a live issue in Lincoln. And I thought, you know, it might be interesting to kind of recreate a chronology a little of what happened just two years ago. In order to kind of just, you know, like know where we're coming from, know what has happened and why. And it just led me to keep digging back a little further until I wanted to know exactly how we came to have school resource officers at Lincoln and just sort of what their story was here. It got a lot longer and more elaborate than I had originally intended, but I, I found it a fascinating topic to dig into. And so yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to address some of this with you guys. On an anecdotal level, I was sort of asking friends and family members occasionally, like, "Hey, when do you think the first school resource officers appeared in Lincoln?" And generally, um, we got I got answers from the nineteen nineties or maybe even later, right? Like some people don't really remember them kind of coming into public fo- public focus until a few years ago. But the fact of the matter is that school resource officers, Lincoln was one of the first adopters of school resource officers way back in the early 1970s. And if you guys don't mind, I I just kind of set the stage a little bit for how that happened.
1: Yeah. And do you know, and I don't know if you looked this up or not, but do you know how that compares to Omaha?
3: I don't. I didn't really dig into Omaha. Okay. it would be interesting to look. I suspect we were earlier than Omaha. I think Omaha was a little later. And I think they probably have their own interesting story to tell. But what happened was that, um, you know, in the in the 1960s, um, Lyndon B. Johnson was famous for a lot of the very um, interesting and and well-intentioned and sometimes effective progressive policies that he was pushing, right? So, Civil rights issues or on poverty where he had this kind of grand vision that aligns um, Remarkably well, I think with a lot of the democratic platform today in 2020, but at the same time this was happening There were two kinds of influences on policing in the 1960s in the United States and kind of grand strokes one was a progressive critique of policing fairly progressive, maybe even apolitical sometimes, but it was that um, earlier in the 20th century, you had the kind of textbook beat cop, right? Like the, the, the officer who lived in the neighborhood, walked the streets of the neighborhood, knew everybody was on hand when something arose. I don't want to paint that with too rosy of glasses on, right? I mean, there were certainly rampant corruption problems in some cities with those kinds of beat cops. But by and large, the difference was that this was somebody who was often patrolling on foot, lived in the neighborhood, and knew people. And after the advent of the automobile and highways and all kinds of stuff, policing generally shifted in the United States to what is called responsive policing, which is where you don't have the police show up in your neighborhood until somebody calls for them. So you could have police departments divide up this labor in different ways, but a cop will show up because there's a traffic accident or a, an assault report, you know, that kind of thing. And they
0: don't necessarily know the people who live there. And is that because of budget or something? Like is it cheaper to not have all these beat cops cops around? So. I think
3: it's probably budget. It seemed more efficient to have people that knew how to respond to certain kinds of calls they were able to do that with, like, cars being ubiquitous, you know, um, over the over the decades of the mid-century. And lots of people felt like something was lost in this. And I should say that this seemed, there were complaints coming from different sides of the political spectrum, right? It was not necessarily a political complaint, um, so much as just a complaint about policing having changed um, because of this. So... Here's one you know that's one thing that's going on in the background. The other thing that's going on in the background after Johnson becomes president is the Southern strategy. And I know that especially you guys with history of you know working within the Democratic Party are aware of this, but have you guys ever encountered online the kind of guy that's like, who emancipated the slaves? It was a Republican, right that guy, oh God, that guy. The, the one who wants oh. you to think that the party who's really been laboring for racial justice in the United States is the Republican Party, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this, that guy is getting this from somewhere, which is that, you know, that's true. He is failing to account for the fact that in the 1960s, there was a deliberate shift within the Republican Party called the Southern Strategy, which was an effort to take, as the civil rights movement was taking off, You had lots of racist white Democrats in the South, Southern white Democrats that were not happy with how the Democratic Party was advocating for backing various civil rights or, um, you know, like measures that would put black people in schools or what have you. So the Republican Party made a deliberate effort in the 1960s to court those voters, to bring racist white people over into the Republican party. And that is called the Southern strategy. And so in the 1960s, the parties kind of flipped from what you might have associated as far as like race issues went, you know, before that, they kind of flipped. And this was happening as Johnson was president. And as he was advocating for this war on poverty and the civil rights amendment, all of this stuff, he had to throw a bone to a conservative block that was developing, and what they wanted was a war on crime. They wanted to see street crime cracked down on. So at the same time that you had calls to return to the beat cop, etc., you also had Johnson wanting to appease people who wanted to see a um, crackdown on street crime. And so, in the late 1960s, Johnson responded with something as the 1968 Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act and Law Enforcement Assistant Administration, the, the act and then this administration, that would then be like picked up on by Richard Nixon. And the Law Enforcement Assistance Administration did all kinds of things that really Profoundly changed policing in the 1960s, and they developed a report that led to things like a recommendation for 911. Like, oh, you know, when you go into this city or that city, you should just be able to call a number. You should be able to go to a phone on the street and call a number and just reach the police without happening to know or the local um, phone number. It had all kinds of things, but it ended up dumping lots of money into local police departments for different efforts. Some of this was war on crime stuff. Some of it was police reform type stuff, right? So as this was happening, there were also lots of people that were saying, we need reform and policing because of the terrible way that police disproportionately treat black people in the United States all of these forces together were combining to lead to a reform in policing. So some of it was just kind of white supremacist and some of it was well intended. And um, so among the kind of well-intended part was a shift to what we're calling these days community policing, right? I assume you guys are familiar with that Mm -hmm. kind of term. And it's the idea that, we don't want strangers to a community dipping in you know, on their shift to arrest people. We want them to feel an investment in the community and a tie to that community and understand that community. That's a noble effort in my opinion, right? But the downside to it is that the more that you want to have police interacting with the community in non-crisis moments, the more you are putting police in different areas of people's lives. So responsive policing where you just call the cops and they show up, right? That's got its own problems, which is that they just come in and they don't understand the community and they act with force or disregard for community. Community policing we've learned over time has its own downsides, which is that if you want the police to have non-crisis relationships with the community, that means you are putting policing in lots of places where it's not necessarily needed. Does that make sense? Like, so you know, like, if you want a cop to know the community, and you want the cop to know the community besides the time that somebody called because they're having an emergency, that means that you're going to have cops around all over the place. And so this is sort of like maybe a hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing, right? But like the right. calls for community policing in the '60s, even when they were coming from a progressive racial justice standpoint, or ended up laying the groundwork for a lot of the problems we're having today, which is that the police are doing a lot of jobs that they don't need to be doing. You don't well, need because they're just I'm, there,
1: right? He, here's what my seven-year-old told me. He wanted to know because I went to the school board meeting. And I don't leave very often the house. I mean, nobody does. So he was very interested in what was going on. And I told him that at the middle schools and at the high schools in Lincoln, there are police officers there watching kids. And um, sometimes they write tickets for kids who do things they're not supposed to. And that, I don't think that's right. And I don't think we should have police in the school watching kids. And my son, who was seven, who has not really thought about any of this before, says to me that he thinks it would make kids nervous and they wouldn't be able to concentrate very well if they thought the police were there watching them to give them a ticket. And then he started going on about how kids don't have money to pay tickets and then what would happen and then... Uh, He kind of spiraled out from there, but he totally got the essence of it, which is if the police are watching you all the time, they're probably going to catch you doing something, however minor, and it makes
3: you nervous. Right. So that's a really good point. So what happened was that in the very early 1970s, there was a man uh, uh, in the Lincoln community named Ben Gobel, and. As he tells it, he was the son of the sheriff of, I think it was Gage County, and literally grew up in a house attached to the jail, which that sounds super creepy to me. But, you know, like his dad's the sheriff, and you go to the other side of the building you're living in, and there's the guy that's in the drunk tank for the night or whatever. And when he got a little older, he became a teacher, and he specifically developed a curriculum that was meant to teach kids about um, law enforcement and the criminal justice system. So this would have been in presumably the late 50s, 60s or something that he was developing this kind of curriculum. So we come around to the early 1970s, 1970 or so, and Lincoln police is getting money from this federal, these new federal initiatives, right? They're getting pressure to develop community policing um, they're also building things like the training academy out on Grand Island, right? All of these things are kind of developing in Nebraska and they ended up hiring Ben Goble as a civilian that was in charge of community outreach. And he had these different reforms. And I mean, the guy was really thoughtful about this stuff. You know, he had, he had even for his honeymoon, he and his wife went to Europe and they spent a bunch of time in Europe and he went around visiting, police chiefs in Europe to discuss differences in policing and how they could connect better with community members back in the United States. Dang. That's (laughs) amazing. You did not have that in your report. I didn't. I mean, I had to cut some stuff because it was getting long. Yeah. That makes sense. So they hired him to do this. And one of the first things he did was he implemented these kind of like cop camps, like where they would figure out who are some kids that would, according to the police or to Ben Goebel, benefit from some time around police and the way they were looking at this it tended to be kids that didn't have a dad at home or were at risk at, in various ways you know i'm not totally clear on all the minutia of how they chose them and they sent them out to milford for this camp where they would be around these police officers and that happened in 19 i believe that was 1970 i have to double check my document and around the same time he was trying to develop that, he had this idea for school resource officers. And Lincoln was an early adopter of this. So what the idea was in 1971 was that Lincoln police would position some school officers, and this is crucial, in elementary schools were the prime target. Elementary schools and middle schools. In April, I, I saw your response to that, and that was mine too at first, except, you have to think about what Goebbels' intentions were, okay? And I'm not, I mean, I have mixed feelings about his intentions, but it's a different way of thinking about this. It was yeah. like, his idea was that if you could have young kids and police forge relationships, it would benefit everyone. Like the kids would grow up to see police. I mean, I, I might be painting with too pro LPD of a brush here, but you know, the idea was that it would teach children to see police as human and as their friends. Now, I want to put a giant asterisk next to that to say, "Who's why? Like, is that <laughs> don't teach, don't teach little kids that police are their friends if police are not their friends, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of right. Okay, so I mean, yeah, there's yes. a reason
1: that they say in the Miranda warning, "Everything you say can and will be used against you." That's right. They, they mean it. They mean it. And if you are talking to police like they are your friends, they will use it against you, right? Because that is actually their job, and that is what they are designed to do.
3: Absolutely. However, in the early 1970s, so here's what here's my take on it. On the one hand, it was absolutely not the intention of the first SRO pilot program in Lincoln to be policing children and putting them in jail or getting them involved in any way whatsoever with criminal justice, except to make them feel good about police, okay? okay. On the other hand, it was absolutely a kind of psychological operation public relations undertaking that was, like, I have, I cannot think of any other profession that would be allowed that kind of access and funding to convince children that of their friendliness, right? I mean, like, so, I have all kinds of 2020 complaints about that. I'm just trying to clarify what the intention was, right, of of Uh Ben Vogel when he developed this program. It was not to police kids. And so when you see in the early documents, you never see policing, like law enforcement come up, really, in the early media reports on the pilot SRO program. When you look at the annual reports that Lincoln Police Department was putting out about what they had done that year, You'll see law enforcement mentioned as part of the SRO program, but in all of this documentation, it was law enforcement for the sake of protecting children from either traffic violations, like people speeding or driving erratically around schools, or from child molesters, which are brought up to a bizarre extent in the early reports. So. It, it really seems like what happened is the police wanted to put, poli- put, put officers in elementary and middle schools to form these kind of like propagandistic relationships with young kids. And then the police are kind of looking for something to do. So they start undertaking things that we would think of as social work, which is like talking to children about potential molestation or sexual abuse cases, right? Like that kind of thing. And that's how it went in the 1970s. And it was constantly fraught by budget woes because the feds gave Lincoln money to jumpstart this program. But it was one of those deals where it's like, we're going to get you started and then you need to take it over yourselves. They were always trying to come up with funding. And what the impression you get from reading the newspapers and the annual reports is that this was a program that had few objections to it registered in the public record, but people also seem to have a hard time prioritizing it financially. So it was like a feel-good program, I want to put an asterisk next to that, that then people didn't want to fund all the time. And the reason I want to put an asterisk next to feel-good program is that when they did things like polled children, teachers, and parents about the SRO program, There were always, there was always a minority, 10, 15% that did not like it. Now, why they did not like it is anyone's guess because nobody asked and nobody reported it. But at the time, the city of Lincoln was 98% white. So when I see that a 98% white city comes back with a poll that says, hip, hip, hooray, you know, um, 85% of everyone loves the SRO program. I want to know whose voice is being oppressed and stifled in that discussion. Right. So right around that time, um, they they ended up um, in the late 70s, they cut the funding for the program, for, or I should say for Goebel's position And the job was uh, handed over to an officer named Albert Maxey. And um, Maxey, I'm sure, sounds familiar to you guys. Um, There's a Maxey Elementary. That's right. For anyone in Lincoln, yeah. Yeah. Albert Maxey was, um, I believe, Lincoln Police Department's first African-American officer. He is still... Um, living in Lincoln. He's, you know, in his retirement and he's an artist. He's always been interested in art as he tells it. He kind of happened into the job of a police officer, but early in his career, he was uh, assigned to guard Martin Luther King Jr. When he came to visit Nebraska, that was one of Albert Maxey's first assignments as a police officer. And um, Albert Maxey was uh, married to Joanne Maxey, who was the state's first black woman to serve as a state senator. She was an educator herself and she is the person that Maxey Elementary School is named after. Um, But Albert Maxey just didn't stay in this role very long. The funding just dried up for the SRO program. So we went without SROs in Lincoln um, between 1980 and 1994. We somehow made it so 14 years. Yep. We we somehow got by with no decent <laughs> schools. Now That's i was wonder-
1: interesting. So that means we had there were three years where somebody might have started school in kindergarten, got all the way to the 12th grade, and there was never yeah. a designated police officer in their school. There are three classes of children, the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th year that we did
3: not have police. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, um, I will reveal my elderliness here on this podcast, but I'm I'm not from Lincoln. <laughs> I, I graduated from high school in Enid, Oklahoma, and I graduated in 1994 we didn't have anything like police in school. I had a large high school. We didn't have police in schools. We didn't have metal detectors. We didn't have anything like that when I graduated in 1994. And one of the things that doing this work reminded me of, I had little flashbacks, was that sometime when I was in high school, probably 1993, someone broke into my locker and stole a sweatshirt that I had purchased with my own money from a band competition because that's the kind of nerd I was in 1993 makes and, sense like, that band- explains everything amanda i know <laughs> and it had like a band competition logo on it and i had bought it with my own money and it was stolen out of my locker and i was super pissed and then one day i saw this girl that i did not know walking and i but i did know she was not at that band competition and she was walking down the hallway with my goddamn sweatshirt on so i went in and i told mr bird our assistant principal that that girl has stolen my sweatshirt. And do you know what he did? Nothing. He he did not. He he called called. the police and sent her to jail. He did not. He did not call the police. He called her into his office and was like, come on, give her her sweatshirt back. And she gave me my sweatshirt back. That (laughs) was it. That was how Mr. Bird at Enid High School in 1993 dealt with a theft in school. Was he just said give her her sweatshirt back and then the girl gave me my sweatshirt back and was fine
1: that is so, crazy
3: who would think that
1: without police you could handle right. a small petty theft
0: i so, don't know i'm calling the police on my children at home all the time during God, i know i know <laughs> so by the time the 1990s roll around
3: first it's fear of gang violence everybody's afraid of gang violence which of course has major racial undertones to it. Oh yeah. And they're afraid of gang violence. And then they start pushing for SROs again in schools. And they already have this kind of framework. The community has a framework that people have a memory, right, that 14 years ago, we had these people in schools. We can reintroduce this program and we can start sticking SROs. This time, we're going to put them in high schools. So now the name of the game is shifting and the main target of SROs is going to be older adolescents. And the purpose is to police them, to make sure that they're not engaged in gang activity. And I mean, some of the stuff coming out in the 90s, like there was a school resource officer in Lincoln who published tips for parents that for how to identify when your child might be involved with a gang. And it included things like they used terms like homeboy and homie what? and slob. Yeah.
1: I just can't, I can't deal with any of that nonsense. Mm -hmm. I want to tell people that you sent me a screenshot when you were doing your research of somebody who was, they were the 20, it was a workshop that a private citizen had set up to the 20 legal ways you could identify a gang member. Now don't exaggerate Melody, I think it was 18. Oh 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 oh! Sure sure sure. eighteen, but it explicitly said the legal ways you can identify if someone. Questions do you know know can ask them. What the
3: illegal. What are the illegal ways that you I identify? I don't know what that is. Completely and by the way, bizarre. There was an illustration that accompanied that flyer that looked like it was like from the cover of like a Sweet Valley High, like teen huh. romance novel from the eighties. Like it, it was so stupid the whole thing was still amazing this, yeah. there was this gang panic taking over so now the rationale changed and you could still see like there's this mixture you can still see today in 2020 that you will sometimes when it when it suits their rhetorical purpose you will hear lps or lpd describe the school resource office officer program is primarily forging healthy relationships with kids between kids and police. But come on, like they were funded, they were refunded in the nineties to put a police force in the schools to police children. So they came back in the nineties. They got into they were in high schools and middle schools, and by nineteen ninety nine, when the Columbine shooting happened, then the rationale was added on that they were preventing school shootings. And I want to say, as president of Nebraskans Against Gun Violence, there is no evidence whatsoever to believe that school resource officers prevent school shootings. In fact, in some cases, it seems like the school resource officer is part of the lure that shooting or fighting the school resource officer is part of the fantasy of, some, of a student who brings a firearm to school. The Columbine shooting became a justification a couple years later after September 11th terrorism became a justification so we have we have this so whatever the boogeyman of the month happens to be the alien abduction month, that's right and i believe april it's true that there has never been a lincoln public <laughs> school child abducted by aliens where a school while resident. an
0: sro was on campus that's, that's amazing right. That's, right. So that's
3: probably why the point i want to make about this is that a predominantly white population that has a peaceful city with low crime and a in a police department that has been more community policing oriented than many have been there is widespread comfort with putting police in schools
0: that is it so is, perfectly said widespread comfort with police from right. the majority white people correct yeah the majority the, the majority, majority-
3: they think we, everybody has a tale to tell, right? Like so many people, when you bring this up and I'll tell you right now, I had to speak to a a school resource officer recently. And I found that officer quite professional and pleasant to deal with. That person was a, a, a nice person, a good person to deal with. And so when, when we're talking about school resource officers, this is not meant to smear some individual officer at the school that you loved. And also I would like to point out that if I as a white middle class lady had a good run in with that officer, it's also possible someone fitting a different profile did not have a good run in with that officer. Even if they did though, this isn't about individual officers, it's about the system of police and schools, right? So.
1: Well, I have some data, Amanda. I have some data to back that up about the system. So, and I looked up, there is a civil rights database. It's ocrdata.ed.gov is where you can find this. Um, or just email us if you can't find it later. But I looked up Hastings. I looked up Omaha. And I looked up Lincoln. Um Oh wait, I don't have Omaha on my list. Well, I have Lincoln, Hastings, and North Platte. And in Lincoln, there is 67% of the children in Lincoln are white. And when you here's the thing, when we're talking about systemic police, is that the schools are already a place where big discipline moments are systemically racist. Mm -hmm. So when you look at, so 67% of white children at LPS, Lincoln Public Schools, only 49% of them get in-school suspensions out of all the in-school suspensions. Only 46% are getting of all the out-of-school suspensions, only 36% of the expulsions. And then of course, when it comes to law enforcement referrals, they represent um, less than 30%. So even though they are 67% of the school, when high-level disciplines come out, the children are, the white children are protected from these disciplines. You can see it in Hastings. In Hastings, we have 72% of the children enrolled are white, but only 64% get insult suspensions. Only 67% get out of school and only for expulsions, it was entirely Hispanic. All of the expulsions. Well, I guess there were only two, so it's a pretty. That's actually a pretty low number to be very statistical. But if we look at North Platte, seventy-eight percent of the school is white, but only seventy-three percent get the in-school suspensions, seventy-four out-of-school suspensions. So they're not they're not being disciplined at the same rates as children who are not white. And in those smaller towns across the state, it's Hispanic children getting more than their fair share of those big punishments. So when you add police, what you're doing is taking a system that you know is racist and adding another racist system on top of it. And when children start getting in trouble with police, you're actually adding the criminal justice system on top of a system that's just already, already has to do some very hard work to fix themselves.
3: Yeah, and what we saw over the years, after the 90s, this is as you describe, right? So there was a constant, well, I I should say first of all, there was a constant argument about who is supposed to be paying for school resource officers. Should it be the police? Should it be the schools? I mean, I'll tell you right now, I don't. I have a hard time seeing the argument that the schools should be paying for this because if it's a PR campaign, which they want you to believe sometimes, right? We're building, we're forging relationships between little kids and cops. Well, that's LPD's PR campaign, right? If you somehow got a nursing association to put kids into schools to build positive relationships to school. Oh my God,
0: or to maybe actually be a nurse in the schools because we don't have full-time nurses. Don't be silly, April. Oh my gosh! I stop <laughs> dreaming. Go ahead. But you know, like so, and then the other
3: argument is like what well, we've heard in more recent years. You know that these are basically putting police officers in population centers where there are lots and lots of kids during the day. Okay, well then you're doing policing work, right? I'm like, I'm still not seeing the argument for it being LPS paying for it, but they were, they've they've been for forever balancing this ball around and adjusting it in various ways for like how much is paid by LPS, how much is paid by LPD. And um, so a a sizable chunk of the cost of school resource officers has come out of the school budget. And I'll add that when currently Congressman Jeff Fortenberry was on the Lincoln city council back in the late nineties, one of the things he was like, you know, The city, meaning LPD, should not pay for police officers in schools. He's clear though, he loved having cops in schools. It was just that he thinks it should be entirely taken out of the education budget. So it should be the cost of books and teachers and librarians and school lunches. That should be where the cost of putting police in schools comes from, not from the police department. And this bounced around for some time And several years ago, eventually, when Tom Cassidy was uh, chief of police at Lincoln, he sort of just made the argument, you know, the writing was on the wall, that there were budget cuts at hand. And he made the argument that middle schools really didn't need school resource officers because there wasn't as much crime happening there. So I, I just think this is an interesting moment because we've gone from Let's start a summer camp where little kids can have who don't have dads at home, can have a dad figure in police and love police. Two, let's cut cops out of middle schools because what we're really doing is arresting children for crime. And we're not making enough arrests in middle schools. That's what's hap- that's what happened over about a thirty or so year period in Lincoln.
0: I want to also point out that high schoolers are still children. Yeah, whose brains are not fully developed, Mm -hmm. who are going to make major bad decisions, and they need help. That's not the law, but and that's
3: what. So that's one of the things that really jumped out at me at this work, April. That's exactly right. Is that in? I I have not found it easy to even locate a lot of data on like the kind of data you would expect to be findable on SROs and Lincoln is not necessarily out there, but. In 2009, uh, Margaret Rice did a great report in the Lincoln Journal-Star about what are school resource officers doing in school? What are they literally, like, enforcing? And one of the things she found, it was just, like, a whole lot of arrests and ticketing, et cetera, for vandalism and theft. And I noticed that, you know, it, it made me think, 2009 is around the time when it started becoming more and more normal for high school students to bring expensive digital devices to school. Like the iPhone was out, right? Like, and now it's like, I don't know. Like high schoolers, it's considered a standard, basic piece of personal equipment, right? To have like an expensive iPhone or phone of some sort, right. When I was in high school in the 90s, there is no way in hell my parents were gonna let me take something worth more than about five or 10 bucks to school. I mean, like, Hmm? so there's one thing that's changed, right? Like kids are, every day, most kids are taking very expensive personal items to school that ratchets up what theft means in high school. But Rice was clear in her reporting. So what happens is that, we hear a lot of claims in lincoln that don't worry about sros because they only deal with criminal complaints the school deals with discipline complaints so school deals with discipline never you fear Um, lpd is only on hand to deal with crime well there's a lot of gray area there and there's a lot of stuff that would have been considered a school disciplinary matter in 1993 when i was in high school that suddenly becomes a criminal matter because you can point to a crime being committed. So that sweatshirt stolen out of my locker that the, the principal dealt with in 1993 in Enid, Oklahoma, that becomes a police report, a theft report in Lincoln, when you have SROs on hand. You have a school, a scuffle breakout in the hallway. Well, that's an assault. That's not just a disciplinary matter where you go back to the principal's office, there are all kinds of things that happen when you put a bunch of half-baked adolescents in a giant building together that, yes, you could overlay statutes onto and call a criminal matter that when you and I were kids would have been thought
0: of as a school disciplinary issue. Uh-huh. Right. Or even think of other places go, children go, like camp. Sleepaway yeah. camp isn't calling the cops when your sweatshirt goes missing that's right not even your phone or your expensive headphones
3: yeah if if you send a kid over to somebody's house to spend the night and they get in a fight somebody punches someone in the eye or I don't know what who's calling the cops over that nobody's calling the cops over that right and so when we hear in more recent years that we're supposed to feel assured that lps deals with disciplinary matters and lpd only deals with criminal matters that is a false assurance that is obscuring the fact that all kinds of things that would have traditionally been considered in-house disciplinary matters have been shunted into the criminal justice system in the last 25 years or so.
0: We have to talk about the example of the Native American girl. Oh, yeah. Right. She, who was involved in a fight Yes. and so, then charged with disturbing the peace of the officer. Correct. So oh, right. So, one That's of the cool. things that happened
3: was a few years ago at Southeast High School in Lincoln. Um, and for those of you who don't live in Lincoln, it, for the first thing you should know is that kids can choose which high school they go to. So there's a little more mobility around high schools so than there might be in other cities. But Southeast is considered like maybe one of the rougher ones. Like I hate to even give it that label, but I think it's like it has a reputation for having a little more, you know fights and stuff like that happening in it than, than maybe some of the other ones do. And from what I understand, a 17 year old girl started a fight with another girl in school and it was like pretty nasty. The, the girl who started the fight was, um, you know, it was, it was not a ladylike, um, disagreement. (laughs) which is also a loaded term that school resource officers have used, but Mm -hmm. it got super ugly with like hair pulling and all kinds of like really like nasty kind of injuries and stuff. So I guess I'm thinking like, look, if if my daughter were involved in the fight like that and she was not the aggressor, I might maybe expect assault charges to be brought against somebody who just viciously attacked her at school, but that's not what happened. No assault charges were brought against the girl who started this fight. Instead, she was charged with disturbing the peace. And the named victim of the disturbing the peace charge was the school resource officer. She was charged with disturbing the peace of someone who was a war veteran and had turned school resource officer in Lincoln. And she found some lawyers who, you know, made the um, completely reasonable case, in my opinion, that we should not be in the business of planting law enforcement adults in schools who can then name themselves victims because they saw a fight happen.
0: And Amanda, how long are they supposed to be yelled at before they just (laughs) let loose? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to point out, it's the same children that are out this march. These are all our city's
3: children and young adults. You're right. And so... To jump ahead here and and kind of get to the more current story, they ended up cutting school resource officers in middle school several years ago because there weren't enough kids to arrest. And they kept them at high schools. And in 2005, they gave um, an excellence award, the Democratic mayor of Lincoln, Colleen saying. Gave an excellence award to an SRO who, in his very brief tenure at Lincoln High, which is the most racially diverse high school in the state, had made this absurd number of arrests for felonies and misdemeanors. So, like, just to be clear, Democrat politicians, even, have been rewarding officers for arresting children in racially diverse high schools in the bluest city in the state. I want to make that really clear. Right. this is not like uh, those bad Republicans and the Democrats have been on the right side all along. This is a matter of white comfort and white Democrats have been perfectly comfortable for a very long time with police coming in and arresting black and Brown kids in Lincoln schools. And so they, for funding reasons took school resource officers out of middle schools several years ago, 2018 rolls around and the Parkland shooting occurred in which a former student at Marjorie, what's her name, Stoneman High School, Douglas High School, I think, yeah. I think that's the name.
1: You know, before you talk about that, I just wanna say, one of the, when you're talking about white comfort, I think that is a really good way to put it. When we look at the data and we see exactly what's happening with school resource officers, what's happening like they basically what happens is the people who want school resource officers they use whatever rhetoric they think is going to work for the moment and it all falls apart when you stand it up against itself so this idea that they're not there for policing children this is what they say all the time when you say we don't want our children policed at school and they say no 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 no, no. this is about community policing this is about Mm-hmm. making sure that you can um, have good relationships with between children and cops. But then when you say, well, we don't need that in our schools. And they're like, well, but you know, sometimes they're like small towns and we you have to have a police officer if there's 5,000 people in a certain area. And uh, you know, otherwise how can society function if we don't have mm-hmm. a criminal justice officer? And so then it's like, well, is it about policing the children or is it about teaching the children about uh, law enforcement? It kind of just depends on which way they think is going to resonate in the moment, because it's definitely about criminalizing children when you look at the numbers and white comfort. It's this hysterical belief that men feel safer when men with guns are with their children. And there's no data to back it up that they're any safer at all.
3: That's exactly right. It is, the issue is that, you're right, the argument changes depending on the criticism laid upon it, right? So if you say, like you said, Nelody, if you say something like, well, we don't want our kids being policed, suddenly it's not about policing kids, it's about education and relationship forging. And if you're like, well, we don't want to pay for that either, it's like, well, what do you want? You want these, like, criminals in the schools to not go arrested, right? Like, I mean, like, the, the goalpost changes constantly. Right. And to my mind, it's like we could, the best argument I've seen for SROs is that Lincoln has a track record of often hiring great, you know, kind and socially minded people into these SRO positions. I'm not going to say that's universal because it's not, but you'll run into lots of people on Lincoln that have a story to tell about um, a great SRO. Oh yeah, and those people. Like, I just want to be clear again. Right, this is not meant to smear those people or say they have bad intentions or anything like that. It's that the work that they're doing should be done by a social worker or a counselor. And maybe, by the way, if we had a society where social work was done by social workers and not by people in uniforms with guns that can rate criminal citations to children, maybe we'd have those talented people going into social work. And becoming social workers instead of becoming SROs. So, the idea that like you had this great experience with this great SRO who did this like very kind and sensitive intervention and helped this student, I'm glad that happened. That should be happening. It should be happening through a social worker or a counselor at your school, not through someone whose training really just required them to become a police officer and carry a gun. So, I do like we have a culture in Lincoln where the Lincoln Police Department, because of community policing, has a long history of trying to hire good people in those roles. But that is a practice, not a system, right? Like that's a community practice. It could change tomorrow. And by the way, that has not been a universal experience. And, and what, what I guess I'd mention is that after this shooting in 2018, I mean, who didn't? I don't know. I mean, as someone involved in gun control, I've been just horrified by this kind of thing for so long. But lots of people came into the the, the matter of school shootings, right? Like became interested in this in the, in 2018. And what we saw in Lincoln was that a group of parents organized very early on. So the the shooting happened on February 14th, 2018, in Florida. By the end of the month, there was an informal group of parents in Lincoln called Parents United for Greater School Security, or PUGs. And they had two things that bound them together. They wanted safer schools, and they wanted absolutely no gun control. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd like my cake and eat it too. Right. Yep. So what they what they started doing was they they were led, at least informally, by a man who has a lot of previous networking with um, politicians and uh, local officials, and they began demanding a hardening of school entrances. Right? Like you know they went they went greater. Which they school. got. They got. And I'll just add, Nebraskans Against Gun Violence has argued from the get go that if uncontrollable gun violence means that we have to spend XYZ amount of money to put up bulletproof glass and intercoms and blah, 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 taxes on gun and ammunition sales should be paying for that, not your textbook fund and your lunch fund. Yep, Just the same way that we put a sin tax On tobacco and alcohol, we can put it on fucking guns and fucking ammunition. That is the whole reason that we are asking for this bullshit in our schools to begin with. Yeah, but Pugs very deliberately did not, in any way whatsoever, want guns and the surrogate dicks that they are to be brought into this conversation. So they formed this kind of coalition of parents that were going to demand that Lincoln Public Schools make schools safe and never, ever, ever look at guns being relevant to, you know, someone taking a gun and shooting a bunch of kids in school. So they got busy early on started talking to city officials and one of the things that came up within a couple of weeks of their formation was just putting tons more SROs in schools. Well, as I've said before, if you're trying to avoid school shootings, SROs, like, I mean there's just no evidence that this is anything that avoids that, that helps prevent school shootings. What I can tell you is that in the vast majority of school shootings, especially the so-called spectacle shootings that we see in the news, as opposed to more casual kinds of shootings we might see in some places. But the vast majority of times, those shootings are committed by a student. And the vast majority of those times, the student simply goes home to their own home or the home of a friend or family member and takes a completely accessible weapon out of that home to school to shoot someone. So if we wanted to begin the conversation seriously like grownups anywhere, about how to cut down on kids taking weapons into schools and shooting a bunch of other kids, it would start with locking your fucking guns up. You want to have those guns, you want to have the ammunition, you can act like a goddamn grownup and keep it out of the hands of the kids that might take it and shoot your kid or my kid at school. But we live in a state, we live in a state where we're not allowed to ask for such ridiculous things. We have to play some kind of bullshit game where we pretend like there's something magical. There's always something different. It's like... Yeah,
0: Lincoln's abusive, special.
3: It's an abuse. It just It's so similar to the way that you see abusive relationships work where anything's the problem except the abuser and his abuse, Right. And so PUGS starts talking to Lincoln City Council and LPS, and they're saying, We want this, we want that. And immediately off the bat, LPS and the Lincoln City Council see an opportunity because they've been for a while wanting some funding for community learning centers. Now, community learning centers are great, right? They're like, they're they're wonderful. Who doesn't?
2: Fantastic. Right. And they provide great resources to children who experience poverty at higher levels than- That's right.
3: We should all be behind funding at CLCs. And what LPS and the Democratic city government of Lincoln in 2018 decided was, hey, you know, let's take this opportunity of these angry, moderate to conservative parents, you know, worried about school security. Let's take this opportunity to get some funding for CLCs And the way we're gonna do that is throw in some funding for school resource officers. So we're gonna get our CLC funding by putting school resource officers back in middle schools to appease these people that want to see any solution except the one that actually gets to the problem. We're gonna get our CLCs by appealing to those people. And as we learned from NHEV meeting with the school officials, they don't really have a problem with SROS. Just to be clear, it wasn't like they. Were, it wasn't like Lincoln Public Schools was saying, "Yeah, you know, SROS disproportionately arrest black kids," and it would. It's just too bad. Like there them. were a few members that say that, um, right. but by
1: and large, that's not the majority opinion. Which no. may hopefully, I always have to stay hopeful because how can you be in this work if you don't have hope? so I'm hoping that their opinion is changing and maybe they're actually going to listen to the data this go around, cross your fingers. Um, but yeah, no, as a body,
3: they certainly love school resource officers, even though there are a few individuals who don't. That's exactly so, right. Like Barb Bear, for example, she has been quite thoughtful through any mom that. guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how
0: does that bring us to today? And, yeah. the, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and the calls for defund right. police. So, and-
3: yeah, thank you. So two years ago, Nebraskans Against Gun Violence, NAACP, and ACLU were relentlessly meeting with city council, school boards, showing up at events over and over and over again and saying, here's what happens when you put cops in schools here is the zero effect on school shootings here is the very palpable effect on black and brown kids and the school-to-prison pipeline and we also heard NAACP saying why don't you hire more black teachers and more black counselors and more black principals who can help these kids like see themselves right in schools or can better supervise school resource officers so that we are not constantly having school resource officers monitored through the lens of white comfort so that we might have black people weighing in on whether, yeah, that kid really was super bad and needed the law to be involved or no, that kid was just being talkative and exuberant and all of the white people around mistook that exuberance for, aggression, and criminality. This is time and again, two years ago, we heard reputable organizations plus parents of color in the Lincoln community speaking clear, evidenced truth to power to the Lincoln City Council and the Lincoln School Board pointing to their own experience and statistical facts about how School resource officers and more police in schools pan out for children of color across America and in Lincoln, and they were summarily disregarded. They were completely ignored and disregarded by every Republican and almost every Democratic official at our city school kind of bodies of government. And they passed the measure to increase CLC funding at the expense of adding middle school SROs in Lincoln. And now in 2020, when we are facing an $11 million budget shortfall to Lincoln Public Schools from the state.
0: 20 million. I'm
3: sorry, April. That's even worse. It's been
0: revised, yeah.
3: That's horrible. We're facing a $20 million shortfall. The one thing we have not seen even being considered on the chopping block are the school resource officers that were added two years ago. We are not even talking about the possibility of cutting police officers who arguably have no business being there at all. And if they do have business being there, ought to be getting funded by LPD and not LPS. That is something we're not talking about. And what I wanted to clarify in this document that I wrote up was that The community stakeholders of Lincoln could not have been clearer about this two years ago when they warned against adding SROs. The racial justice components, the disproportionate racial outcome, the gun violence component was spelled out plain as day to Lincoln Public School Board and Lincoln City Council, and they did not give a flying fuck, and they approved more SROs. And now they're about to approve two more years of that heightened level of SROs without even releasing any data whatsoever on what the racial outcomes have been in the two years of policing Lincoln children in schools.
0: So in regards to the current movement and the current mood around the nation mm -hmm, and budgets that are tight, what do you think should be done in Nebraska Mm -hmm. schools with SROs? Thank you. That's a good question.
3: When I wrote this report, what I mostly wanted to do was produce a history to help inform people that are doing activism. Because what I really think is missing here is LPS and the city listening to the community of color in Lincoln. And I want to know what people who have more of a stake in this have to say right like what do what do parents of black kids and brown kids want to have happen with sros and lincoln i suspect you know it's going to look a lot like the larger so-called defund police movement which is just that a lot of the money used to put into sros that are doing social work should be put into social workers That are not there to enforce the law, but are there very clearly to help kids in the school. And that I would like to just have a clearer conversation about what our budget is supposed to be funding when we go into hard times. And what is it that we're protecting? What's on the table? What's off the table? And why? And whose comfort is being protected and who's being listened to and who's not being listened to?
0: Well, thank you for that very thoughtful and very informative, well-researched piece you wrote. I learned a lot today.
2: Thank you, Amanda.
0: Thanks. Thanks, guys. Are you reading any good books you might recommend? Anybody? I've I've been doing a lot
3: of reading for my upcoming fall semester. I would recommend Pox Americana by Elizabeth A. Finn, which is a non book that studies a smallpox epidemic starting in about mm. 70, 76. That's an interesting one.
0: Interesting. I've been reading an Indigenous People's History of the United States. I had the opportunity to do a really amazing American Indian history professional development and um, so many things I learned. So I had to pick up that book too. I've previously read the I think the title is A Queer People's History of the United States. That was also amazing. Highly recommend. So many things they didn't teach us in school.
1: I will put all these books in our podcast book list, which you can find all of our book recommendations on the seeingrednebraska.com website if you click on the Fight Back tab. It's got a link to all of the books we've recommended. All right. Well, until
3: next week. Adios. Good night, Bye. everybody. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for all your work on this and for having me on. And I appreciate it. Fantastic.
0: Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by Citizen Volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, 10 or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.